Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word... Are you a good lampstand? Is Christ's light shining through you? Are people seeing through you, Jesus? Are being drawn to the Lord or impacted by the Lord through your life? We each want to be good lampstands. I want to be a good light for the Lord. I want to be a good witness. And so when you go into dark environments, don't dim your light down, fam. Sometimes that's what Christians do. They get into other contexts. They're like, well, I don't want to, you know, want to upset everybody. Don't want to upset somebody sometimes. That's such a challenging question, isn't it? Are you a good lampstand? Are you making a point in your daily life to let Christ's light shine through you? In today's message, Pastor Bill will remind you that there are places you go every day that need the light of Christ. There are people walking in the dark who don't even know that they are blind. Shine your light. There are people in desperate, hopeless situations. Shine your light. There are people who need to feel Christ's love today. Shine your light. Now, here's Pastor Bill. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, as he continues his message, a picture of Jesus. We should come prepared. I'm listening to hear from you. And the things that you speak to me, challenge me, share with me, encourage me, stir me. I want to write them down so I can remember them. A friend of mine, we were in D.C., and we prayed with this lady, and then she started, through her prayer, she started prophesying I mean, it was just spot on. The, I don't know this woman. My first impression of her would have been that she's a little kind of out there, you know, uh, spiritually speaking. And then she wanted to anoint me with oil and pray for me. And I was like, go ahead. I'll, I'll let you pray for me. My friend was with me. and He looked like you're gonna, you, you, she got you, you know. But this woman started praying and she's telling me what I do. I, I had a regular clothes. I didn't, I didn't have on pastor clothes. Uh, nothing about what we were doing said we were pastors. She's a woman tells me what I, that I'm a pastor. Um, she describes the city. She starts to describe our church. And then, then she begins to prophesy just some things that the Lord was going to do. And as I'm there, I'm, I'm taking it all in. I'm like, when she got done, I remember I grabbed my phone. And I'm like, I, I want to write this down because if it's, if it's from the Lord, I want to be able to verify the words. And me and my friend, and she prayed for him. Uh, and that was amazing. You know, she's, she's describing what he does and where he ministers and um, so we both were grabbing our phones and like, wait, what was that? What, is, what did she say right there? So we trying to write it down because if that was from the Lord, I want to verify that. And I could say at this point that it was all from the Lord. Uh, that sister was filled with the spirit and moving in that particular gift. And so he says, look, write these things down. Why? Because it's not just for you, John. This is, this is going to go way beyond you. I want you to write these things down. And he tells John, I want you to send them to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he lists the seven churches. If you look at those churches on the map, they make what would be like a big circle. Um, some people say that that was the, the, the mail route uh, back in that time in history. And so um, as Jesus gives in his evaluation of each church, and I believe as we look at each church, we're going to see something of who we are. We'll learn a lot about Jesus as he gives his evaluation. How many of you guys get evaluations at work? Guys going for work. Okay, so if you go to an evaluation and if you've been doing good, you come in and they're like, hey, you've been doing a great, you're here on time every day. They can't say that about all y'all, but some of y'all are here on time every day. You, you've done a good job and, you know, maybe they give you a bonus and a raise and a pat on the back or whatever. But what have you been messing up in this review time? Bad feeling. I've had a review after messing up real bad at a job. It was my first job after I got saved, but I'll come to that. Jesus, what we learned about him is this. 
If there's anything good to say, he says it. If there's anything corrective to say, he gives a correction. And this is what I love about the Lord. Wherever he corrects you, he always tells them how to make it right. He never says, you're doing that wrong. Shame. Walk away. He says, this right here is not right. And he tells them how to get it right. So we're going to take our time going one church at a time looking at these things. But there was a job I worked at when I first got saved. It was a warehouse. And y'all know I'm a clown and I play around. I play too much sometimes. And um, we were, every time after lunch, it was always uh, the guys were trying to see who could get to the bathroom to blow it up first, you know. So, so, so everybody had to be in their wake. And so the lunch is just about over. And I'm making my way, and I see this guy uh, behind me. He's, I can tell he's going to try to beat me. So we race to the bathroom, and um, he's catching me. There's these carts at work. I fling the cart out, and he tripped, and he fell. And then, so we both fall down, and then we look up, and there's the boss. And reviews were the next day. And so that was the worst review I ever had in my life. But uh, they didn't fire me, you know, but... Uh, I'll never forget that. So uh, I was excited to move from that job and get a fresh start at my next job. So, um, but we'll see how the Lord reviews the churches, and uh, it'll be a blessing. We're going to learn a lot about him because, look, as he tells us what he loves and what he doesn't love in the church, he's telling you and me what he wants and what he doesn't want. Amen? So we can be, as a church and as individual members of the church, we can conform to his image. We can, we can say, God, we want to be the kind of church you want us to be. I want to be the kind of Christian that you want me to be. He's going to explicitly lay that out to us as we cover the seven churches. So moving on now, he says in uh, verse 12 now, then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. So first he heard, now he turns around and he sees. He turned around to see the voice that spoke with him. And it says, he saw seven golden lampstands. I told you guys when we did the introduction to the book that sometimes in Revelation there are things that are symbols. Uh, the seven golden lampstands are symbolic. Here's what we don't do. We don't make up what it's symbolic of. I don't say seven golden lampstands. I think that's symbolic of and just start making up stuff. We look elsewhere in Scripture for clarity. What does seven lampstands mean? Sometimes we'll find it right in the text that we're reading other times, God will pull imagery from the Old Testament. And so we'll go to the Old Testament and see what it's talking about. The seven golden lampstands, so we don't have to make it up. If you skip down to verse 20, it tells us what it is. In, uh, so say in chapter 1, verse 20, it says, The mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So back to where we're reading in verse 12, he says, I, I turned and saw seven golden lampstands. So those seven golden lampstands are what? Seven churches. That's clear. That's not confusing, is it? It's not like this revelation is so scary. It's confusing. It's very clear. Seven lampstands, seven churches. It told us right there. Very clear. Here's a cool thing about a church being symbolized as a lampstand. A lampstand doesn't create light. It just displays the light. God says, that's what the church is. We don't create the light, but we put it on display. Lampstand, it holds the, the light and it displays it. And so a question we can ask ourselves as a church, and as individual members of the church, as a church at large, are we a good light? Are we putting Christ on display? Because that's the light that we're supposed to be putting out. Churches can be known for all sorts of things, 
Are we putting Christ on display? Is the light of Christ shining through us as a body, through us as a church? Because that's our goal as a church. If, if people come into this building and they leave from week to week, as they interact with the body of Christ here, what they need to leave knowing is Jesus. Amen? What they need to leave thinking, man, Jesus is awesome. If someone's great when they leave here, we want Jesus to be great. That's what we want people to leave with. Then as you guys and myself, we're individual members of the church. As you leave this building and you go about your life, are you a good lampstand? Is Christ's life shining through you? Are people seeing through you, Jesus? Are they being drawn to the Lord or impacted by the Lord through your life? We each want to be good lampstands. I want to be a good light for the Lord. I want to be a good witness. And so when you go into dark environments, don't dim your light down, family. Sometimes that's what Christians do. They get into other contexts. They're like, well, I don't want to you know, want to upset everybody. Go on and upset somebody sometimes. The darker the environment you go in, the easier it's going to be. You only have to try. You just be a light. There's some places I go and just the virtue of what I don't do, I'm a light. You know, I've gone to restaurants and there's no seating. They seat you at the bar, but I don't drink. So they keep asking, well, we, we, I don't drink. To make them feel good, I said, give me a ginger beer. Um, this, for y'all that don't know, it's just like root beer with ginger, you know, whatever. But I don't drink. If you go into a bar and don't drink, I'm going to go to the bar, but I'll be in a, a bar, grill, restaurant type place. And they want to know, well, why not? I tell people, I say, I'm allergic to it. If I, if I drink, I act a fool, you know. Um, but... <laughs> Some environments, you just don't. You just be what you are. I don't normally do that. And just by virtue of what I don't do, I, I'm going to be a light. I'm going to be an example. Sometimes it's what you do. Sometimes it's how, you, it's how you treat people, how you behave around people. I was sitting in my son's dojo, and I was watching two of the grown men from the, men, the adult class. I was watching them interact. And I just I knew by watching these men interact that at least one of those guys was a Christian just because of... It was just how he spoke and how he interacted. Some of it may have been what he didn't say, what he didn't do. I was so convinced that I went over. I said, hey, are you a Christian? He was like, yeah. And we'd start talking and fellowshipping. And then the other guy is a believer, too. And he's been you know, trying to get him to go to his men's Bible study. And it was just to watch a man for a couple minutes have a conversation with another grown man and say, he didn't say Jesus. He didn't say God. He didn't say a prayer. But something said to me. That, that's, that, I think he's a Christian. I'm, I'm, I'm so convinced I'm going to ask him, you know, let your light shine. Be a, be a good light stand, lamp stand for the Lord. Uh, we want to be that as a church, and we want to be that as individual members of his church. So um, he sees the seven golden lampstands. Look at verse 13. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. And so the Son of Man is another phrase, you know, that we have that identifies him as Jesus Christ. Where is Jesus at? He's in the midst of the churches. That's where he's at. And um, we should pay attention to that. That's what God's interested in. He's interested in what's going on in the church. He could have placed himself, he could have said the Son of Man is anywhere. He said, I'm in the midst of the churches. I'm right smack in the middle of what's going on in the church. Uh, that's why I believe it's so important as believers that we make fellowship regular. Um, I, can you be a Christian without going to church? Yeah, you can be a Christian I don't earn my salvation by going to church. As a Christian, though, I should go to church. I should be a part of a local body of believers, and we should gather on a regular basis. Why? Because God is working in a special way when we gather together. There are some things that are not going to happen with you on your own that will happen when you gather together with the saints. Consider this. In every Christian is the Holy Spirit, right? Every Christian has at least a gift of the Holy Spirit. Whereas we all come together, 
Those are the gifts that God gives us is to glorify God and edify the body. So as we all come together and we spend time in fellowship, God's this isn't the only gift that's happening. There, as people interact and they talk and they pray, there are gifts that are flowing among us. That if you remove yourself from the fellowship, there are gifts that are in you that the body's not able to, to be benefited by. And there's gifts within the body around you that you're not able to be ministered to by as you pull out of the body for whatever reason. Um, and so it's important that we gather together. Also, there are things that God does as we come together. Uh, I, I found this interesting. As you go through the book of Acts when the church was beginning, every time you see God do something significant, they were gathered together. So when did the Holy Spirit fall? God said, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you're going to have power to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, when did the Holy Spirit finally fall? When they were all gathered together in the upper room for prayer. He fell then when they were all together. Um, it says in Acts 2.42, as the believers were regularly coming together for um, the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers, it was in that environment that it says, and God added to that church every day, um, people that were being saved. Um, and so the church was growing, and as they were gathering, everything significant God did, it was as they were together. Don't be one of those people that get convinced that you can have it all by yourself in a corner of a room somewhere. If, like John, you get exiled to an island, God will meet you on the island. But other than that, we need to do our part. We need to make sure that we make fellowship something that we regularly do. Amen? Uh, he's in the midst of the churches, one like the Son of Man. Now we get the first description of him, clothed with a white garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. These are the attire of the high priest. And so if you look at the high priest of the Old Testament, um, his job was to go before the Lord on behalf of the people and to go before the people on behalf of the Lord. The high priest was kind of the go-between. Um, our sins, the high priest would make atonement for our sins. Once a year, Yom Kippur, he would go before the Lord and offer sacrifices for you. When people were seeking God, they would go to the temple and they would ask the priest and he would seek the Lord for him. And he had the urm and the thummim in his chest plate and he would get an answer from the Lord and tell them. If you remember when Hannah was saying, you know, she went to the thing, the priest Eli and she wanted to have a baby and she cried out. And first he thought she was drunk and then he realized she wasn't. But Eli heard back from the Lord and told her, God's going to do it for you. That was how God dealt with them in the Old Testament. Then as you come to the New Testament, Jesus is our high priest. And Jesus is the go-between, if you will. Um, there's one way to the Father. It's through who? Through Jesus. And so we know from Hebrews 7.25, as our high priest, Jesus lives to make intercession for us. He's always there interceding for us before the throne, day and night. So whenever you mess up, whenever you fall short, whenever things aren't quite what they need to be, he lives to make intercession for us. He keeps us in a right standing, in a right place, in a right relationship with the Lord. We know from... Um, 1 Timothy 2.5, it says there's one uh, mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. I got direct access to the Lord through Jesus Christ. There's no one else that I need to go to. I don't have to go to the pastor or to the priest. I go directly to the Lord through Jesus Christ. And so this first image of him, again, as we get in a picture of Jesus, he's wearing the attire of the high priest because he is our high priest. Uh, he is the one that goes before God on our behalf. He's the one that's living to make intercession and keep us in a right space and a right relationship with the Lord. And so moving down, look at verse 14. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. 
So this bears some explanation. This is one of the verses everybody likes to look at. It's like, see, I knew Jesus was black. Ah, he has hair like wool. So let me fix it up for you. First of all, it says his head and his hair were what? White like wool. So if it is said his hair was nappy like wool, we could argue that at least he had nappy hair. But it doesn't say that. It says his head and his hair were white like wool. This is not showing us Afro Jesus. Uh, this is showing us his purity. His head and his hair were white. Um, anybody here that's ever worn all white, any imperfection, any dirt on white shows up like that. His head and his hair were white like wool. This is letting me know that God is absolutely pure, sinless, perfect, no blemish in him whatsoever. Amen. So I just want to fix that up. So this is not this is not an explanation for him having an afro. If it was, I would tell you, but it's not. You know, this is letting you know that there was a purity about the Lord. And we know that about him. Um, that's why he was able to be the sacrifice for our sins. That he was sinless and perfect. What do we do with that information? How does that impact us? That I know that he's my high priest. I need to be thankful. I need to be in relationship with him because that's not available to everybody. Jesus is not everybody's high priest. He's only the high priest of those that have received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. Um, and the fact that he is holy and pure and that there's no blemish in him, there should be an awe and a reverence about the Lord in the hearts of people that know him, uh, that we'd understand who he is, that he is perfect. He is holy. He is pure. Um, there should be a reverence about the Lord to us. So his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Then it says, and his eyes like a flame of fire. What is that telling me about what God is like? Eyes like a flame of fire speak to this. His all-knowing and all-seeing eyes. Um, eyes like a flame of fire. That means there's nothing that God can't see. God sees what you do, and he sees why you do what you do. Anybody here ever done the right thing for the wrong reason? Raise your hand. Telling yourself. Some of y'all, okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can think of times where I definitely, I did the right thing, but the wrong motive or the wrong reason. Uh, I know as a kid, I, I definitely said sorry when I wasn't sorry because someone said to say sorry. Um, you know, say sorry. I'm sorry till we get outside. Then I'm not sorry no more, you know. So you can do the right thing for the wrong reason, but God sees everything, all-knowing, all-seeing eyes. Um, this has helped me out. I've been saved for a while now. And earlier on, I had to watch my mouth. And over time, God has really given me victory over what would come out of my mouth. I'm a lot slower to speak than I used to be. So whenever I'm emotional, I'm quiet. If I'm angry, I'm quiet. Uh, I know that I can't sin with my mouth shut. So when I'm not in a good space, if you ask people to live with me, I'm quiet. When I'm quiet, you're like, what's wrong? Something's wrong because you're quiet. But you want to leave me that way because I don't need to say nothing. So um, but quiet is good for me. But what I have found is, um, and I grew up bagging, you know, I don't know for you guys what era you guys grew up in, but me and my sister, that's what we did my whole life. Me and her still do it to one another, um, bagging on people, making fun of people, making jokes or whatever. It's something that happens very naturally in my head. And so a lot of times I'll be driving, I'll see something, and I may tear somebody up in my head. And then they're like, Dad, what are you laughing at? I'm like, I don't want to say, I can't say what I'm laughing at. I'm sorry. And that's something I've had to, the Lord's like, I see that though. Um, and probably the worst scenarios are when maybe people say stuff to me and there's a response that, that I'm supposed to give. And I, I, I'm pretty good about doing the right thing on the surface, but there are times 
because God is dealing with beneath my surface where in my mind I may still cut them up. You know, I'm like, yeah, and I, in my mind I'll lace them up real quick, get a laugh and walk away. And God's like, but I saw that, Bill. I, I care about that too. And so his all-knowing, all-seeing eyes, what is that? That should make me aware that it's not just what you guys can see. Uh, I'm not living for people, but I, gotta, I live before the Lord who sees what nobody else sees. He sees the motive of my heart. He sees what I'm thinking, when I'm thinking the wrong thing. When somebody asks me to do something, even if your body moves to do it, if in your mind you're like, oh, wait, you know, God's like, well, I see that. I saw that. I, I, I never mind what you did. I saw what you said in your heart when you did it. And so I, I hope that that will help us to be people that walk with greater integrity. Uh, it's been said integrity is what, what you do when no one's watching. Um, an interesting thing for the believer is someone's always watching. Amen. The Lord is always watching. So who are you? Who are you when nobody is around, but it's just you and the Lord? And are you aware of his presence? Is there a sense in your own heart and mind that God is present with me all the time? I'm never really alone. I'm never really by myself. I'm always with the Lord. That should impact how you think and what you do and how you live. Uh, Just knowing that God is present, his eyes are seeing everything, and I'm never out of his sight. All knowing, all seeing eyes of the Lord. And again, for someone that's living wrong, that's a scary thing. And for someone that's living right, it's a blessing. Because um, his all-knowing, all-seeing eyes, maybe you serve in a way that's not public. Maybe you serve the Lord in some ways that are not in front. Um, people don't see it. No one's saying, hey, great job. You did awesome. But you're serving him. Well, he sees that. Not slipping by his sight. All-knowing, all-seeing. Uh, so if we're living right, it's a blessing to know, God, you catch everything. Uh, but if you're not living right... Um, let it scare you into holy living. Let it put the fear of God back in you that you're always before him. If you're writing notes, write down Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. And it says this in Hebrews 4, uh, verse 13. It says, and there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Nothing's hidden from his sight. All things are naked and open uh, before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. And so again, his eyes like a flame of fire. Verse 15 now, his feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. That's verse 15. So two things, the feet like brass is another one that people like to look at and say, see, his feet were like brass. That's bronze. That's black feet. No, um, his feet are like brass as if refined in a furnace. And so a um, couple things here, brass throughout the Bible is symbolic of what? Judgment. Throughout the Bible, Old Testament brass, when Moses held the brass serpent, um, they were getting bit. They were being judged. Brass is always symbolic of judgment. His feet are like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. That means brass that has gone through the fire, been purified and come out. Here's the thing about Jesus, his feet. He's coming back. When he comes back, he's coming to do a different job than when he came the first time. When Jesus came the first time, what was the mission? Seek and save that which is lost. He came to be the humble, lowly lamb of God, to die on the cross for your sins and my sins in our place. When he comes back, what's he coming to do? Judge. It's a different guy coming back. If those that think he's coming back lowly and mild, feeding people fish dinners, it's going to be in a, in a bad way. Uh, he's not coming to do that. He's coming back to bring judgment on those that have rejected him. Right? If you're born again, if you're saved, you, we're going to already be with him. We have died and gone to be with the Lord because to be absent from the body is to be 
or we'll be caught up in the rapture, caught up forever to be with the Lord. One way or another, the saints will be with the Lord. Then he's coming back and he's judging, not us. The judgment is not on us. It's on those that have rejected him. You've been listening to A Transforming Word. As Pastor Bill Buffington has been teaching through the book of Revelation, this book is entirely fascinating, if not a little bit confusing. But don't get distracted by all the strange things mentioned and lose sight of the fact that Jesus is showing himself in a mighty way through this book. The description of Jesus in this book sounds like some fierce, ultimate superhero, someone you would want to follow but might be a little afraid of, too. But Jesus is coming to redeem a broken world. Some of the ways God will go about doing this may not be fully understandable from our perspective, but that's okay. It's still worth studying and eagerly anticipating the fact that He's coming to make all things new. What a relief. If you'd like to hear this message again, or listen to more messages from our Revelation series, go to calvaryinglewood.org. If you have some questions that you'd like answered or need someone to talk to, we're happy to speak with you and try to answer those questions. Just call 310-245-4811. Once more, that phone number is 310-245-4811. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood in Inglewood, California. Thank you for spending time with us today in the book of Revelation. We look forward to our next edition of A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill. Make sure you tune in for the upcoming message as you're sure to learn more from this intriguing book of the Bible here on A Transforming Word.